where I come from industry wise, mm -hmm. the way to make change is through, through telling stories and empowering people. And I still think that that carries a lot of weight, but I also now having entered the tech world and the business world where we deal with tools, tools to make things work. That has sparked the interest. I'm like, I want to learn more about the technology tools mm -hmm. that are needed to make palpable change in our communities. And I am interested in marrying that with the storytelling and the understanding of our communities, the understanding of context. Welcome to Ellas, a bi-weekly podcast made by Latinas for Latinas. I talk with talented, inspiring, and empowering women who are living their dreams and paving the path for the next generation. I'm Brenda Hernandez Jaimes, and this is Ellas. Hola, welcome back to Ellas. I'm your host, Brenda Hernandez Jaimes. Thank you for listening to Ellas once again. Ellas is a podcast where we amplify empowering Latinas who are living their professional dreams, paving the path for the next generation, and creating an impact in our communities through their work. The goal of amplifying our voices and our stories is to remind you that you're not alone in this journey and to motivate you while you pave your path in whatever professional career or industry or business that you want to start. And if you'd like to support the show, we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast, where you can listen to our episodes ahead of time or get your hands on our beautiful stickers. If you want to buy us a cafecito, we're also at buymeacoffee.com slash where you can donate at a one-time basis, starting at $1. Of course, there are other ways to support Ellas by listening to our episode, following wherever you listen to podcasts, leaving a review, following us on Instagram, and tagging us. Your support has helped us grow tremendously in the past two years. So muchas gracias. And today I have the honor of introducing today's guest, Leanne Alfaro. Leanne Alfaro tells stories about what's next in the world of technology, business, and entrepreneurship. With more than 2.6 trillion GDP, she's especially passionate about exploring the Latino influence in the world of business, which she speaks about via newsletter, podcast platform on Moneda Moves. She is an award-winning journalist, having reported in the national outlets, including CNBC, NBC Latino, Business Insider, Millie Magazine, and worked on audience engagement, as well as strategy. By day, she is supervising producer and social media content director at NASDAQ, where she tells stories about the future and market technology and business. Please welcome Leanne Alfaro. Hola, Leanne. Hola, Brenda. It's so good to see you. Good to see you too. And I'm honored that you're here on Yes because you know very well that I'm a listener of Moneda Moves. So it's really an honor to have you here and really share your story with us, share your way of you've been a journalist, you know, you've been amplifying our stories in, you know, traditional media and, but on a focus with, you know, finance and really helping us discover the power that we have. You know, we always knew, but, you know, more people outside of our communities know that we have the power to make a difference. So I'm excited to learn more about you and why you started to study journalism and your interest in finance. Yes. Well, thank you so much, first of all, for having me on. I know AS has done tremendous work in amplifying the voices of other Latinas in the community and, and, you know, paving the way in their own. And I will say I studied journalism, but I never imagined myself doing business journalism. I was always a little bit of a journalist nomad. So in the past, I've done writing about science, engineering, climate change, and entertainment, just to name a few. But when I moved out to New York, um, the opportunities that were available 
were in business journalism. And in particular, I noticed that there weren't a lot of people of color in this field, especially in 2015 when I made it out to the big city. And so in this field, I noticed there was a lot of stories about affluent people, people with generational wealth, but not a lot of stories about people who were first generation Latinx or from lower socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. And so just as somebody who was, you know, in real time, making their way through the process of trying to make a name for herself in the number one market in media in the country. I figured, you know, like I've always been interested in in learning more about my communities, but also telling our stories. And I was just like, you know what, why not fuse that with business and tell those stories? And I will tell you, it has been a journey, but I am so excited to see that there's an increased interest, especially in the last few years in our communities. And I think that this is just the beginning of a movement, especially if the ownership comes from people who are part of the community. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, you know, really love that the power of the community is so strong. And once we realize that power, we are creating change and waves, you know, and I can see that throughout the past years, and especially this year, you know, with, you know, with the pandemic. So I really am interested, Leanne, because you describe yourself as like journalistic nomad, you know, and you decided to go into finance because that was what the opportunities were but going back a bit how would you describe who Leanne is you know obviously behind all of the finance behind all of you know you know passion for journalism and for amplifying our stories like who is Leanne and how did you come to embrace amplifying our stories Yeah, I mean, I would say that I grew up in Chicago on the northwest side of Chicago in a neighborhood called uh, Hermosa, a highly Puerto Rican neighborhood because it was right next to the historic Humboldt Park, which was huge for Boricuas. And so there was a lot of influence there, but it wasn't exactly the easiest neighborhood to grow up in. My parents were immigrants from Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. And, you know, they moved out here with not a lot of wealth built up. They did, were fortunate enough to go to college, but my dad especially who came from the lower uh, income class was really was really interested in exploring what the opportunity was in the united states and for him that ended up being an, an entrepreneur himself so now today he has his own construction business it's not like a huge business but it's something he's very proud of and i i'm very proud of our family for having built those those roots and establish those roots in Chicago. But I will say it was not the easiest place mm-hmm. to grow up in the neighborhood that we were in, lower socioeconomic status, it, it, kind of difficult for a kid to grow up in because there was um, quite a bit of street violence growing up and also not as quality education as you would get in other parts of the city that were quite frankly more wealthy. So I was, I grew up very aware of my surroundings and aware that your socioeconomic status could determine the education opportunities yeah. you had and therefore the potential to lead a certain kind of lifestyle, the potential to have certain kind of jobs and education. And so to me, I saw that as very interlinked. That said, I got lucky enough through a lottery system to go to a higher quality education school early on, which I think set me up for success. It literally felt like winning the lotto. And even though at the time I didn't realize it, I think that that's kind of what set roots inside of me. I went to a school in a wealthier neighborhood. My first language was actually Spanish because my mom used to be a teacher in Mexico. And I did not know a lick of English when I went to this school in a wealthier, more affluent neighborhood in the north north side in the second grade. I knew very little English. I was like in an ESL class, but my mom could tell she's just like, she's not learning fast enough. 
again, felt like sheer luck that I ended up through the lottery system in this school. But I think it really set me up for success because that's also what sparked my interest in journalism. I was like, whoa, I like writing. I like books. I like being in the library, like sticking my head in a book and I could spend my days there. And when I think about it, I'm just like growing up in this environment and seeing like my friends, my neighborhood friends around me not have the same access to opportunity made me very aware, not just about money. I don't even know that I saw it as money at first. I saw it as structurally something is off. We don't have the same access. We can have the ambition. We can have the bootstrap mentality and you can bootstrap all you want. But at the end of the day, if you are already behind other people, it's going to be that much harder. So I was very aware of my privilege. And I think that that is what set me up. And I think it was in college when I started learning more about my roots, my culture, my heritage, and Mexican's history in the U.S. And I became more interested. And I and I said, well, what are the the trends that I'm seeing here? Like, why is it that not everyone gets the same access to opportunity to be to to follow certain careers? Why do some people get that luxury and other people not? So I think that those like kind of like in underpinnings and questions mm -hmm. were what brought me to where I was and where I am today. Thank you for sharing that with us today because I, you know, I agree with you. It, if you begin at a certain disnivel and, you know, disadvantage with your other counterparts, you know, they have a higher chance of succeeding in terms of, you know, opening a business or in their career and even, you know, getting quality education. You know, it starts from those very first stages and you saying that you, you basically won this lottery of getting a higher more quality education really set you up for where you are right now. So us, well, you know, seeing, being surrounded by your peers, you were questioning yourself. I think at a young age, maybe not a lot of people, but some children do question themselves. Like, why is this different? Why, why do I have this? Why do they, does my fellow classmates don't have or are not struggling, right? You did mention while you were studying, you know, those questions went deeper what emotion did it bring up? Was it frustration? Was it anger? Was it confusion? Was it understanding of, oh, this is how, you know, life is? And how did you see journalism as a tool to provide solutions or to bring more awareness within the Latinx community? Yeah, I don't think it was an instant click. You know, I don't, I, I don't want to claim that I, at, a young, at a young age, I had that certain level of awareness. I think I knew that I didn't fit in, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, I think my parents always made me feel emotionally safe, even though we financially struggled. They always made me feel like I could shoot for the moon. <laughs> and I, and I'm very lucky. And I feel like that's the kind of privilege I had. It wasn't economic status kind of privilege, you know, like I took the school bus every day, one hour to get to elementary school. And sometimes a lot of times I, I took it alone starting in the second grade. So I was aware that my classmates had more than we did, but it, it didn't spark like any anger feelings. I felt like I received a lot of love at home that way more than compensated for that. I think I, I became aware at an early age of just like our constraints. I think something more personal that I probably don't talk about often enough is like, I grew up with like scarcity mindset, you know, like we would go to the grocery store, like a couple blocks away further, just to save a few cents on, on groceries. And that became very commonplace to me. And that's something that I applied. And, and now as an adult being the first time that I like have come into like more, I guess, abundance comparatively, I, I struggle with that, you know, I'm just like, okay, there's a different mindset that I can adopt around money. It's okay. It's safe to, to let go of the scarcity mindset for a second, especially right now when so many people, you know, are, are going through a very distinct reality than that. 
and I have like security. So in terms of your question to journalism as a tool, I don't think the connection was immediate. I, when I was young, I think my, I gravitated towards entertainment, to be honest. I love music. My dad was a musician in Mexico. Uh, so I would write about music. I would write about entertainment. I thought it was a really flashy job. But um, I think the older I got, the more I, I, I had some peers around me, especially in the journalism field, who were like, who would ask these questions that in the back of my head, I would be like, it also, it almost would be like a feeling of like, you know, right here in your, in, in your heart and in your gut, you're just like, something feels off, you know, like friends would be just like, have you heard that there's these, there's an infusion of money that this school that already had affluent kids got. And meanwhile, the, the kids on the, on the South side aren't getting this funding. And I, it would remind me, and I don't even want to say that it's the reality I live because I didn't grow up on the South side, but I was aware of these disparities. Mm -hmm. And I would be like, Man, maybe there's something more. There's something a little more you can bring to the table. Not to say that something is better than yeah. the other, but I'm like, maybe there's something more that's more that goes a little deeper within yourself that you can bring to the table in your reporting about your community. And so I didn't immediately make that connection when I fell into business news, but the more that I looked around and saw the coverage, the more I realized there was this opportunity. I'm like, mm -hmm. why are there all of these Latino entrepreneurs, all of these people hustling and bringing so much to the economy? And we're not talking about it in these newsrooms. And this was only six years ago that I didn't see this. I was like, this seems like a given to me. Like, why, why aren't we talking about it? And I was just like, I think this is something, it's an opportunity gap. And this is something that I can help fill. So that questioning, did you take it once you were in New York? And because obviously I've seen some of your TikToks and I love your TikToks, by the way, but you, you did mention in some of them that you basically had to convince and like, I said, Mario Meta, go above and beyond to really convince your editor to approve these stories that you wanted to talk about when, you know, other stories of like, like these affluent, you know, entrepreneurs were, you know, being amplified already. And, you know, how was that journey like of you going day in, day out, convincing that these stories were, were worth reporting on? And how was it until you found those editors that really didn't need convincing that they knew the importance of having it being amplified? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's probably not a question that I'd be able to answer a few years back, but it's one that I really do feel comfortable addressing now. I genuinely think that the story is in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the newsrooms, this is not new. This is not like news really to anyone in the journalism environment. A lot of the upper management and upper level editors are not do not represent the diversity of this country. There's a big diversity issue in journalism. And people like to say, not just in race. And I will also side by that, not just in race, in socioeconomic status mm -hmm. and race. And I think, you know, I wouldn't put it on one editor as to why these weren't getting approved, but I certainly do think that if the editor doesn't see your story, it's harder to get it approved. If they don't, if they don't get it, you know, like it's, it's hard for, for an editor to say yes. And I don't necessarily... I don't think it was like, like fr frustration directed towards them necessarily. I think it was frustration in general, frustration that we didn't have more diversity, frustration that the consistent question was just like, why is this a story? And my question would be like, well, why isn't this? Yeah. And I will say I did get better at pitching stories throughout time. I think that part of it was like, you need to know how to pitch a story. Mm -hmm. Not everything you pitch will be a story. And I, I see that now, but I do think that once I found my sponsors and my advocates in the news environment, I felt seen. 
And that was incredibly powerful. One of them being Sandra Lilly, who's editor-in-chief of NBC Latino. And she would have Suzanne Gamboa, one of the national political editors, helped edit my, help edit my stuff. And I, it was such a privilege, but it's also just like, this is the kind of help that we need mm-hmm. because we, we need, there's not this coverage. Clearly it exists. Yes. Uh, the stories exist, but there's not the coverage and we need people to be uplifting these writers and help them better craft their pitches, craft their stories so that they are adequate and fit to print. So I think a lot of the feelings that I got when, when these pitches were rejected was like, I'm going to, to try to freelance when I can. And at CNBC, that was a little bit harder, but I would say that, you know, given the privilege to do it because, because you can't, you can't, you have like a non-compete agreement, which is pretty standard for other news companies. But like when I was given the opportunity to do it around my time there, Mm -hmm. I took full advantage of it because I was able to find editors on the West coast or like it's smaller papers or online digital publications that were like, yes, this is a story and we need to hear this. Like we need this story. So that honestly, it felt very validating. And I think the community is a big part of it. But I also had this urge to be like, well, why don't I just start my own thing? I'll start a newsletter. And that was Moneda Moves. It was like very, it fed me. And it wasn't even like I'm doing this to like scale right now. It just fed me to share with my journalist friends who were people of color and felt the exact same way. And they love how, you know, every project or business or, you know, whatever vision that we talk here on AES, it always comes from this frustration that, you know, we feel that our voice is not being heard where we are. And because of that frustration, you go out and create something not only for you, but for others. And that connects with others, it resonates with them and it grows. And that's what happened with Moneda Moves. And, you know, how, speaking on Moneda Moves, how did it grow from a newsletter, you know, with your friends to suddenly having, you know, people that, you know, are not your friends and are, are from the U.S. or maybe from outside, you know, the country, follow it. And how did it become into a podcast when was that moment when you decided I want to grow this into something bigger as a project and to you know connect with others and really let them know the power that they have about their finance and their business yeah absolutely I mean I think people started reaching out to me and I started seeing oh maybe there's something more here because at first it was just a digest and especially in New York uh, I'm not sure if it's the same in California but people love to have their I feel like zines are pretty popular. I feel like yeah. newsletters are like the online zines. They're a little bit like underground, a little bit like very niche-like. And so for me, it was just that. It's like something important, but also fun. It like fills me. It fills my cup. And when I, I had people reach out to me on Twitter, like other reporters that I hadn't necessarily even invited to subscribe and like people from even like media outlets or like press like companies to be like, this is really interesting. I feel like you're onto something here. You should explore it a little bit more started tinkering with it but to be honest I feel like I didn't press an accelerator on it until less than a year ago during the pandemic because we had I had the privilege of being able to work remote Mm -hmm. I was at home all this time we were in New York everything was shut down I was just like this is prime time I see all of these personal finance places and blogs and educators popping up which I think is so important as well different facets that we absolutely need but I'm just like I, I feel like this is this is such an opportunity to tell stories and I enjoy it so much. And my my company also allows me to do it. Like what a what a space to be in, right? Like I'm just like, I feel like it would be a waste of a of of the starting of something and a waste of like the opportunity to like not do it now more than ever. I just wish I'd started earlier, to be honest. But but I'm glad that we've started now. 
Yeah, and I feel like we're talking a little bit about my experience. I feel like we can't regret not starting sooner because I feel some experiences were necessary for where you are right now, right? And, you know, I really want to dig into, you know, in the past year, you know, the obviously the newsletter has grown, but the podcast has begun something much more bigger. And, you know, you've brought in so many guests from entrepreneurs, you know, reporters and business and finance experts that are, you know, building their own companies and informing and, you know, reporting on finance. What has, what have you learned from each guest? What has resonated with you that you're taking now to grow Moneda Moves and as a person with your own finance? Yeah, well, I like to say that, you know, and I certainly interview some personal finance experts, but I think what I'm trying to get at with these stories is the similarities that bind us, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a guest, there's a there's a guest question that I ask every single person on the show and it's what's your biggest money learning? And I think that there's a lot that we can learn from that because sometimes we see people I feel like there's there's a model in news where we see people like be like this person was started at the bottom and now they're here. Basically, they're just yeah. like this person started with like being an immigrant, you know, didn't have the clothes to wear on their back and now they are a multi-million billionaire and just seems so inaccessible, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like that is a grounding question because it's like no matter where you are today, first of all, path is never linear. Yeah. But second of all, there are generations of us and generational cycles that we have to break in our mind, but also in the structures that people become aware of. And so I find, I find this to be a very revealing question because oftentimes it's not like, and you know, some people do say this is my biggest money learning, but oftentimes it's not like budgeting. It's not investing. It's more about the way we think about money and the way that we see the world and the way that we see the structures in our world work. So I feel like it's such a contextual question and it's different for every person. Speaks to the diversity of Latinidad, right? Like we have so many discussions about this. And so I think what it gets at is that money and culture are not as different as we make it seem. Like they're not two different worlds. They're actually, especially within the Latino culture, which is a collective, it's a collective of cultures, but it's also collective uh, cultures based in the collective. They have so many similarities, so many threads that we can learn from that we can then apply to the to the physical, like, oh, I'm going to start building generational wealth. Oh, I'm going to start investing. So it's just like a lot of it does have to do with our cultura. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And, you know, recently, well, not, I guess a month ago, you had a talk on the Mujerista and you were talking about generational wealth. And it's not just, I think some of the speakers were saying supporting their siblings cousins nephews in school right and that in the sense can be generational wealth but I really liked how you focused it more on creating something for now for in the future the next generation could have and at least cover what we had lacked before right and one example can be maybe you know this children's parents weren't homeowners but you know the next generation are and then so their grandchildren can have a home of their own. So for you, how can, how do you see, you know, generational wealth taking, shifting that mindset? Because you did talk about having that scarcity mindset and having to work through it. So how do you see these important topics in your day-to-day and trying to improve on them, be better and lay the correct foundation 
for not only yourself, but for the next generation of of you, of your family? Yeah. So I think there's a few questions in that. And I I think there's some like self-work to do and some shadow work to do, right? And then there's, it's like the self and then the linear growth and then the, the linear vertical and the linear horizontal. And, and I'll explain what I mean in a second, because it's like kind of abstract in my brain. I kind of like sketch it out. So I think we need to have more conversations like here, our generation. Mm-hmm. So I have a conversation with my mom, with my dad, which we never talked about money. The pandemic was the first time we touched on so many money issues. My dad is a homeowner. We talked about like wills. We talked about the, the difficulty with uh, mom and pop uh, landlords not being protected. My dad was among them. That was something that we had to talk about. So it's having these difficult conversations, not just like for the future ahead of you, for your gener- future generations, but the people that are here right now, like your immediate community. And so there's that, there's having conversations with my friends about like, what are you building? Like, how are you acquiring assets? Assets are the things that POC do not have, Black and Latinx do not have that wealthy people, often white, do. So it's just having these conversations with your friends, with your family. And then there's a self, like I mentioned scarcity mindset. And I have to say like therapy was a big part of that. Mm -hmm. I think it's like finding the right therapist that can help you walk through that and has worked with other first generation people before they totally deal with these things in a more expert manner. And so I I think a lot of it is like self work, right? Like I, I do take issue sometimes with people saying that you can manifest things because it's just like if you are structurally boxed in and like your environment and your opportunities that you have available to you don't let you go further than like this top point like you cannot manifest you're going to keep hitting that wall and so that is one of the things that kind of like I take issue with that sometimes you hear in the personal finance community when we're talking about self-work I feel like it's more of just being aware structurally mm-hmm. having these community conversations because as, because when you start have these conversations you notice you take note of your privilege too yeah. and you start figuring out well how can I help the collective right and then I think it's also like being like okay how can I improve myself my relationship with money to help people around me too in future generations and start planning for that you know vertical generational wealth like down the the ancestry line and and back up in some cases if you're taking care of your grandparents so it's a lot. It's a lot. Like everything that I just explained, I feel like it's a lot to like process for anybody. But I feel like this is a big issue for our community. And you don't even have to be son and daughter of immigrants. I feel like sometimes it's cyclical. Like you just haven't had these conversations. And I was talking with a CEO of Summa Wealth about this. It's like cyclical. It's like she, she had generations of, of family members that were making some money, but they still had scarcity mindset because they hadn't had these conversations. Yes. And I think, you know, having these questions, having these conversations does take time with our, within ourselves and with our family and, and mm-hmm. in our community of this generation. Of, and also speaking out about the privileges that we have, you know, because, you know, some children of immigrants do have more privileges than others. And it's just like, not everything, like you said, not everything, not every story that you talk about in Moneda Moves is the same, you know, it has it different, you know, and everyone had a different starting point and, you know, recognizing that first. And, and I'm also, you know, big believer of like, yeah, you can't speak or you can't manifest things. If you know, you have certain barriers in your way that, you know, cannot move by speaking it to existence. So I want to go with a step back and talk about well learn what were the lessons that you took from being surrounded through mentors and sponsors in your early years of journalism and how you're taking those lessons and applying it in Moneda Moves. 
Have you heard? The secret is finally out. We're launching our podcast production services. I'm continuing our mission of amplifying Latina voices by providing our podcast production services. Over the past two years of amplifying Latinas, it's been inspiring to see them embrace their powerful voices, making waves in their career, and sharing their inspiring stories by creating a meaningful space to connect, uplift, and motivate others. I want to be there to guide you while you pave your way in podcasting and help you amplify your voice. If you're interested in our podcast production services and want to work with a Latina podcast manager that understands your voice, story, and message, then please join our waitlist at as-media.com slash waitlist. That's as-media.com slash waitlist. I can't wait to share more updates with you in the near future. Now, let's go back to the show. Because I feel like, uh, honestly, when I think about my mentors and sponsors, that also was a privilege. Like, what was it not? And I'm just going to give, I'm going to give some of them a shout out right now, because I feel like they deserve it because it carries so much weight. It really, really does. Like, I don't think I would have been able to stay in New York. I was in New York uninsured. Like, I was almost delusional to move out to New York, you know, like I, New York rent average is definitely over a thousand a month. I feel like if you live in certain parts which are tend to be very popular parts. But like, I found a place in New Jersey, I got very lucky in that where I was paying 550 a month, I was uninsured, I got in a pretty bad accident. And I like did some sort of, like, I had to go get like alternative fix, because my internship wasn't giving wasn't giving me insurance at the time. And it was like a six month internship. But anyway, not to go too long out of, of a tangent here, I just feel like the, the, the sponsors and the mentors were so pivotal to getting me to where I am. So the first one is like Anna Gonzalez. I cold emailed her at CNBC and she got me, uh, she gave me the opportunity, like in my eyes, she gave me the opportunity to stay in New York. Had, you know, like I cold emailed her. I was just like, hey, I see you're hiring for a producer. She said, hey, like, I think you seem smart. Producer is not quite the role we would hire you for, probably an associate producer. So you can work your way up to it. Like, let's talk. And after that, I got hired within two weeks. And things aren't that easy. <laughs> They're not. She took a bet on me. Mm-hmm. And I found out the the power of building relationships. I wouldn't even call it networking. It's just relationship building and people who will take a bet on you. Because especially when you don't have wealth and your family's not connected to people. Like my parents, like I told them I got like a little like stint at the New York Times. They, they don't really know what that is. <laughs> I don't think they understood the magnitude of what that meant. So my parents are just like, this is not their, their arena, you know? And so to be able to have that kind of sponsor was immense. I think within the National Association of Hispanic Journalists, there were a few people that guided me along the way that were more like mentors and they ended up being friends. Lucille Villas uh, is, is one of them. He's at the Washington Post. Just other journalists in the field, Caldi Ortiz, he's a reporter um, in New Jersey. Just the people of like the community of people that back you too, that have your back. That carries a lot of power that is just like you're actually good because I'll tell you what, in journalism, you get kicked a lot. You have to like grow this thick skin, especially in New York. Like you're not going to get told you're good a lot. You're going to get like angry tweets. Like it's not very gratifying job. So to have these people that are just like, keep persisting, keep doing, I know the struggle. I also am building generational wealth. And then the people that will actually go to bat for you in in the boardroom, super important. And I would say a a lot of them to start with were Latino because I tapped into my affinity groups. Mm -hmm. But I think also building relationships with people who are not Latino was, was critical. And I think that that's been more of a thing later in my career. 
like my boss right now is, is also a big advocate. So having these people that you can ask for advice, not only in the work, like stuff for stuff in the workplace, but also out so important, so important because it's, it's almost, it's like this no, never ending board game. It's very expansive mm-hmm. and you don't know the rules and there are no rules to a certain degree, but to have somebody kind of guide you and say, you know, like, I probably wouldn't do that because I had this experience is, is incredible. That's not something you can Google. Yeah. That's yes, it's definitely true. That's not something that you can Google and, you know, they can guide you to your path much more, you know, easier, you know, and avoid those struggles that they had, you know, gone through in the beginning. So important to have mentors and sponsors that will bet on you and give you the opportunity. And I love that you, you just cold email and, you know, you could have had a no and, you know, but you had a yes, you know, and you were hired two weeks later. And I have a lot of no's. Like I, I know some people who like actually put their rejections up on their wall. I don't do that, but they're, they're floating in my emails. I have a lot of no's. I have a lot of like turn down coffee dates or, um, you know, now I tend to do less coffee dates because people only have so much time. And I recognize that. And I try to respect that. But I, I think, I think just the building of relationships and not being afraid of rejection. Rejection is a good, like no one ever gets success without rejection. Exactly. And so true having, it's so important to build genuine relationships that not only will revolve around your career, but like in a personal aspect, you know, you, you were young, you know, recently moved to New York, New York city, you know, you were, you know, from New Jersey, but going to New York. So it must've been like a change, you know, obviously Chicago is a big city too, but like, you know, you being alone, obviously, as a first gen Latina, it was, you know, it was a diff- not a shock, but, you know, different. And I imagine, you know, these mentors and sponsors were there to, you know, also ask any questions, answer any questions or take care of you in, in any way that you, you know, felt maybe alone while growing your path. And it was very lonely that all that said, like, I don't want to sanitize like the experience. Like it was just a rough go at the top, like not knowing anyone in New York, I probably knew like one person that I had just met from my last internship, but I think it just built a lot of grit and a lot of just also being like, you know, I don't know this person doesn't mean I can't get to know them. Mm-hmm. How do you, Leanne, now, you know, six years later, are paying it forward in terms of mentoring, sponsoring, embedding on that young talent in journalists, Latinos who, you know, want to break into this industry, want at least want their foot in the door and, you know, have been given the opportunity. I, I mean, I get so excited when any young journalist reaches out to me. I think I've also expanded in my reach of like industries now because I technically work in the tech and business sectors. And so I've actually had the opportunity through my full-time work at NASDAQ to do a lot of mentorships opportunities. I'm now the co-lead of Adelante, which is our employee resource group. And what I really love about it is that you get so much opportunity, so many opportunities to do community outreach. So I'll do workshops on like video with like, I just did one in the last week with New York City uh, high school students virtually. You get the chance to like go into classrooms and talk to them. That said, I do think that there's value in having like long-term mentees mm-hmm. that you get to check in with. And so I have participated in this program and I would highly recommend it to anyone who's interested down in New York City, uh, Julissa Arce, who is the, the I think it, her her kind of like title for, for a while because she used to write, she, she still writes a lot for CNBC, was, uh, she was undocumented um, and she started working at Goldman Sachs and rose the way to like high ranks there. She, she has a mentorship program where she connects people, especially in the finance and tech worlds with um, mentees. 
And, and honestly, ultimately, I don't even feel like it's necessarily just in journalism. I think that there is a need for people who are first gen mm-hmm. and people who are navigating the world for the first time. And there's so much to be shared there that like transcends industries. Like connecting someone has like a very visceral effect. And I think I've done that to, through the ability to hire. Like, whoa, the first time I was able to hire at NASDAQ, I was just like, I never thought I would feel this. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought I would, like, it, I feel like it was a little bit of an emotional moment, like not for everyone else around me. I don't think, I think they'd done it before. But the first time I, my manager, who I, I've said again, is like actually a, a huge mentor, uh, Kelsey Murray. She, uh, she was just like, yeah, I, I'd like for you to make this, the decision on this hire or this intern or I just, it was a little bit emotional. I didn't, um, I didn't think that I would be in that position because I remember looking for internships mm-hmm. and I remember the anxiety ridden process that it was, especially when you don't, when you don't have connections mm-hmm. and someone isn't pushing your resume through the back end, you know, and from someone within. So that has been and a really great experience to have. And, you know, now knowing that, you know, you in a way became someone of a change maker in someone's life, you know, for the better, where do you see more of that change as you, as Leanne, the journalist, Leanne, as the founder and host of Moneda Moves, and just as a person in this world, you know, where and I think in a way Moneda Moves is a tool, a resource for Latinx or first gen to make a change in their life but how do you see yourself maybe two three step of you know in the future yeah I mean I think I think this is something that I've been ruminating on a lot in the last year um, because where I come from where where I come from industry wise Mm -hmm. the way to make change is through tell stories through telling stories and empowering people and I still think that that carries a lot of weight but I also now having entered the tech world and the business world where we deal with tools tools to make things work NASDAQ builds uh, market technology to make the markets run worldwide and it has enabled so many markets around the world to take things away from like, like in person, make them digital and make them faster. That has sparked the interest. And this is like probably more than two to three steps ahead. It's probably like 10 steps ahead, but I'm like, I want to learn more about the tools that are needed, the technology tools Mm -hmm. that are needed to make palpable change in our communities. And I am interested in marrying that with the storytelling and the understanding of our communities, the understanding of context, because I, I feel like and I talked about this recently uh, where we t- where I spoke with other founders of other like personal finance platforms about the importance of context. And so I'm interested in marrying the technology tools with the context about our Latinx communities, our underrepresented communities to, to create palpable change. What are the tools that people need to build generational wealth? What are the tools that people need to build credit who may not have credit at the time? And I see this explosion around financial technology and it excites me. And I want, I'm like, I'm over here watching right now and like still telling stories about it, but I'm like, I want to learn more about that. That is really exciting to me. And so I, I do hope that Moneda Moves at some point does have a, a role to play in the fintech world because it's, there's so much opportunity, but there's also so much space for people who can do research and work with the community to help create and drive it. And, you know, right now with Moneda Moves, just in the past year, you know, you decided to do a podcast and, you know, 2021, you're doing a partnership with the Mujeriste. You're creating, you're doing the work that is ultimately taking you to those steps of becoming a change maker within our community. Can you tell us more about how that partnership came about with the Mujerista? For any listener who, you know, has your project and want to create brand partnerships and have no idea 
how to start one or where to contact. And of course it's, you know, it's easy to talk about it, but also to, you know, provide those steps that you took and maybe they can apply. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to, to apply uh, sometimes just because the Mujerista was actually relationship driven. Like I mentioned earlier, like authentic relationships are so important. And Maribet is the founder of the Mujerista. And I started kind of like taking notes on her work because I thought that it had so much potential when she first started the platform and I, what I thought was so different about her is that she, even though she didn't, I don't think she has a background necessarily an educational background in journalism. She was very much paying attention to the power of uh, bringing in journalists and bringing in people who really um, took the time to study the craft, mm-hmm. um, to tell stories and to try to do so in a, in a way that was fair as well. And so she got funding from Neiman Lab, which is a big resource in the journalist community. And I was just like, wow, this woman is so impressive. She has the credibility. She has a good sense of brand and she's got like, she, she's so cool. So I reached out to her and we started talking when it was just small and she was like, I'm actually looking for writers. And this was back before I had, was knee deep in business news. So I actually started by writing about entertainment for her because I said, I used to be a journalist snowman and I wrote about everything. So even to this day, I've written about, I, I've like interviewed people uh, who've done, been in the Hollywood industry who are Latinx. Um, I interviewed like the writer of Selena and as I started building out one of the moves, I was just like, you know, you don't, you don't have a money section yet, but there's a lot of potential here. And then I actually, Cara Perez of Ruby Bravely Gold also started writing for her. So I was just like, okay, there's, there's a space here. So I started being like, okay, let me, let me pitch her some, some stories. And she was very receptive to it. She even came out to NASDAQ uh, when she was in New York. So we were able to like make the in-person contact and uh, it was definitely relationship driven, I would say. I think in terms of um, bigger relationships, and this isn't from personal experience yet, um, but bigger uh, brand partnerships, I do see a lot of people, um, there's a big opportunity right now for Latinx folks and POC folks in, in the finance space and, and just in terms of getting funding for, for content and media. Now more than ever, people are paying attention to us because of the social justice uprisings after the George Floyd shooting, Mm -hmm. of course, in in relation to Black people, it it comes from a place of pain, which is what kind of, it really, I feel like it's, 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 it it hurts a little bit to see that, that it comes from a place that, that people had to go through this, that, that they're in such pain. And that's why we're getting the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I asked somebody else, I was interviewing somebody else earlier this week. Uh, she's also a founder of a black media company, Corey Hill. I asked her, is this a movement or a moment? And it's a, it's a hard question to answer. You know, like what, there, there's been an infusion of capital towards these um, POC founders. And it's like, I want it to be a movement. We want it. We don't want this to be a fleeting moment because it's, it's, it's the hot keywords right now. We want this to be more sustained. But I think in terms to your question of brand partnerships, it's to continue ride that momentum mm-hmm. and, and reach out, reach out to these places. It's kind of like that cold email mentality, right? Mm-hmm. So build relationships, continue with your cold emails, because I've also made connections with people during this time that I thought I would never make connections with. And I think that part of it is driven by the moment that we're in right now. Pandemic has caused an exodus of Black and Latinas from, from the workforce and not by choice. Uh, women are at the front front, POC are at the forefront, take advantage of that if you can. And not everyone is, is at the privilege level to say that they can. People are really tired. People in our black communities are really tired. Asian Pacific mm-hmm. uh, American communities are really tired. But if you can, like, lean into it, but also work with your community. Don't just work 
you know, like in that direction, make sure to pay attention to, to your peers and partner up. It's very important. And again, you know, the importance of relationship building and how that can create something bigger and ultimately be maybe the key element that makes a moment into a movement, right? And it's so true that now due to the pandemic, it's a woman of color who have been, you know, pushed out of their work, you know, not of choice. And you've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs who were pushed out of their work, not by choice, and found the solution to open up their businesses. And let me, I want to, I want to talk about that. How has that really changed your perspective on, on finance, entrepreneurship and, and life and how it, it's also, I guess, inspiring and wonderful that these, these people have reacted that way because one, you know, you are out of, you know, work during a pandemic and, you know, you can decide to just stay where you are or find a solution and start something that can ultimately change your life. So what have those lessons been while interviewing these entrepreneurs? Yeah. I mean, I will say, I don't think, I think we are seeing a movement of entrepreneurs from people who have left their jobs or been laid off, but I don't think that that is the, um, the main story here. Mm-hmm. I think, I think we, we tend to lean into that too, because I do interview entrepreneurs and I interview entrepreneurs for my day job as part of it. It's, it's part of the job, but I think we're seeing a lot of caretakers hurting right now. Actually, we're seeing a lot of mothers leaving work because they cannot meet the demands of their full-time job, whether it's front facing or desk job while also doing the labor of not just raising their children, children in intermittent spurts after work, after school, but 24 seven while they're being educated from, from home. And that's something that I actually do plan to do an episode on very soon because I've written about it for the newsletter and we really do need um, more stories on that. I think that the big story right here is, is not entrepreneurship. Honestly, I wasn't surprised that, that Latina and, and women of color leaned into entrepreneurship, like Latinx, folks have been leading in small business creation for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. like point blank, 34% new business creation. Um, Stanford, Stanford uh, has done a lot of studies on this. We are hustlers. We are entrepreneurs. We are uh, generators of small business. We often don't get the funding to scale. We're creating all of these small businesses, but we're not getting the funding to grow. When people were applying for PVP loans, often people in Latinx communities, lower socioeconomic backgrounds, were not getting that big issue. When people were going to banks for these bigger loans, they were not getting them. So they're, because a lot of it is based on your, on your credit history. And a lot of it's based on like, well, how much money do you have? And so people oftentimes like there's, again, people are hitting this, this wall, like Latinx have always been small business creators. This isn't, this isn't new. And I'm not, I'm not surprised. I think, I think I, I am happy to see that there's like a digital movement. And so there's all these Latinas that you see and all these women of color creating their online communities. But when we talk about money, we're really hurting. We're really hurting. We're not getting the funding to scale. And I think NBC Latino also did a recent study that it's just like some communities, some Latinx communities, and again, I think we need more research on this, but are not applying for the help that that's being offered as well. So there was also recently government help that was offered. Not all Latinx are leaning into it. Some of them, the immigrant community for fear, right? They don't want to like be deported. And some of them because of pride. You have so many people within the Latinx community. My dad was among them. Don't apply for like federal help, even though you qualify, because there's this mentality of like, if you work hard enough, you're going to get ahead. And I saw that with my dad. We, we, we definitely qualified for food stamps and my dad did not. Didn't, he was like, nunca, <laughs> on my grave. So I think, you know, I love seeing these stories, but structurally, 
we have a big issue. You know, Latinx were doing, uh, taking on more home ownership before this pandemic. That's been severely impacted. Home ownership right now, like the, the market right now is, is really, really hot. And, but also there's a lot of homeowners that haven't been able to rely on, um, especially the small homeowners, like mom and pops, rely on that rent right? Because of the people that are living there, they may not be financially stable. So I think there's, it's coming from so many parts. So actually, I, I almost feel like I'm a little bit more concerned. Like I love the entrepreneurship. I love the energy, but we need funding. We need, we need policy work and we need uh, um, these people working on policy and working on solutions to take time to better get to understand our communities. Yes. And know how to communicate because like you were saying, you know, there's help, right? For towards Latinx, but some of it's pride, some of it's some of it's misinformation. Some of it's maybe like, maybe if I ask for help, I'm going to owe them more to the government, right? And that's also a mindset of maybe of our parents that think, I don't want to owe anything to the government because, at, you know, in the long run, it can be- It can hurt me. It can hurt me, right? And it hurt, it hurt them in terms of applying for their green cards or maybe for their children's future in terms of when once they're working. Because, you know, I'm saying this because- it, comes from my parents as well you know that fear of like if I ask for government help you know my children are going to be hurt in the long run once they start working once and you know that's that's a fear that is genuine and that can really also be inherited to us right as first gen or second gen right and then once we start our business or you know want to scale we ultimately have these this mindset of like in the long run, it can, you know, hurt us. Yeah, there's that. And then there's, of course, um, you know, I really hope we get better at this. And I, I have hope that we will. We have Isabel Guzman in charge of the Small Business Administration right now, and she's done extensive work in California. So I have hope that that part will, will get a little better and that they get to know the communities better. But I think just like, there's also the basic things too. Like why isn't information always readily available in Spanish? Why is it, why aren't people like available to help us that speak Spanish and these, especially coming from the government, like Spanish is not like, it's a pretty prominent language and it should be, it should be like, even in the pandemic, when people were distributing vaccines in Chicago, for instance, there were cases where they didn't have translators in Mexican neighborhoods. So it, it, it goes, it goes from the money side, but all the way over to health, you know, it's just like, we need the proper support to support our communities, to help them scale, to help them be afloat. And we're not seeing that right now in full. And it's, you know, it's something that we as a community as first gen C, right. And until something of when it comes from a place of hurt, that's when all these problems are being paid attention to the people who have, who are in power and ultimately decide to make a change, but it's very slow. It's very, and right now we don't have the time to wait for it. Right. And it all ultimately comes back to us to make that change or to be the, the provider of information to our parents, to our community. And, you know, you through Moneda moves are being, you know, this treasure of information of, you know, I listened, I was listening to an episode, I think with the Suma founder, and it was shocking to listen to how her husband, since they started getting married, they were saving for their children's university and how her father-in-law was giving her children, you know, investment as a Christmas gift. And I was like, what? Like, this is something that, you know, every time I listen to her podcast, it's just some, I learned something new that obviously my family and myself and my friends have not had that same experience and but make me think 
well, I would love to do that once I'm in a position to do that and create generational wealth and provide information to my family and my friends. Have you come across it as like, once you're interviewing them, like shocked, like learning new things as well? Yeah, I mean, I definitely did not know that about Beatriz. And so it's interesting to hear how like the fusion of her and her husband's side family had such a like palpable impact on the children, because you're right, they got I think it was like stocking stuffers. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the stocking stuffers were like, instead of an Apple phone or something like that, they got stock in Apple. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, well, yeah, that makes sense. If you want to support the company and then make some moves, moneda moves while you're at it, might as well uh, buy buy stock in the company, right? And so that's the way that I feel like we, within our community, eventually it would be so cool to see that. Um, like imagine, I get so excited whenever I see like a Latino-based company or Latin American-based company go go live or go public on the stock market because it's not a lot. But imagine a world where you saw more Latinos take their companies public, that they reached that market capitalization to, 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 to take them because you do have to, you should have like a certain market cap and to be like, whoa, not only do I buy their products or their cosmetics or their entertainment things, but I'm going to go and support them in that way through the public market. I'm going to go and put buy stock of that company. And, and now I'm a stakeholder. Um, but, but to be able, I don't know that we think that way yet, you yeah. know, like I think we're getting there though. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think again, to reference my earlier point, we need that assist. You know, I've had people, I've had people ask me, uh, among them, a, uh, an associate producer at CNBC, uh, Brandon Gomez be like, he's like, the question I hear a lot is like, uh, you know, are Latinos going to continue to fight against the grain to fight for their place in the system? Or are they going to build their own? And honestly, I tend to be of the thought that we got to do both. Mm -hmm. because that generational wealth is in the system. And as I've heard um, other like personal finance educators say, we're, we're compromised by the system. We live in this capitalist system. We're compromised by it. And so, yes, I get so excited to see our communities band together and really like um, build these infrastructures with each other in these communities of small businesses and be like, I'm going to support you and you're going to and we have each other's back, but we also need that infusion of capital. Yes. like it's hard to to continue to build and and it's hard to scale if you're not getting that capital so true and you know it's true that you know we have to in a way play into the system because that is the one that has more of the power and can ultimately help us scale right and be where we want to be and Leanne you know throughout this year of growth what has your follow what has your community taught you you know not only are you informing them and communicating to them but I imagine you're learning from them as well you know they're reaching out you know and seeing how they were connected through your guest stories or information that you were providing or maybe asking questions how have they taught you to be a better journalist uh communicator and as well as someone who's navigating in this world of you know finance and business and tech yeah first of all I gotta say like the explosion that we saw of personal finance educators in the last year not just from the Latinx field but all sorts of first gen areas I've learned so much from them about the power of self and the power of introducing yourself into the story I, as a journalist, went like the school of thought is just like you disassociate yourself from the story a little bit. And I've learned and I'm, I'm trying to lean into it. It's like a process. I'm not fully there yet, but I'm like trying to lean into how my story, which I kind of shared with you earlier, 
relates to what it is that I'm covering because ultimately I've seen that these people um, and these educators and influencers, like when they share their story, audiences, they feel more trust and they're better able to connect with them. So I've been trying that through TikTok, as you mentioned, I've been trying that maybe through this interview, but I, I really want to make an effort to really just connect with, with people because I feel like it's also kind of, um, it enables less of a gated community mm-hmm. and more of like an open community where it's just like, yeah, I want to share stories, but I'm, I'm not necessarily that different from you either. You know, like, it's not like I'm sitting up here and I've never had to deal with any of this. I'm first of all, I'm not sitting up anywhere. I'm right here with you. And, you know, I'm taking also stock of my privileges, but we may have more in common. And I think that that's important, establishing the commonalities, establishing how we move forward together. So I think that kind of like shift has been important. And I think it will continue to be important as we continue to grow. It's letting go of that fear. um, Because in journalism, you're like supposed to be unbiased, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're not. And I would say that I still try to convey things in a very fair way, you know? I try to see like, it's not seeing like both sides of the story because some stories, quite frankly, don't deserve the other side being told necessarily, but it's just like, it's being fair, but that doesn't mean that you can't bring yourself to the table. And so I'm in the process of that because I've seen so much of my community bring themselves to the table and be vulnerable in that way. And I think that requires a different kind of strength. And I really admire that. So bringing yourself to the table is so important. Taking off the mask, we become such experts at masking right? Like I, I mask for a very long time, right? Like it's just, uh, I remember to this because I feel like it's relevant to the whole masking situation, but I would stand in front of a mirror and mimic like the Sesame Street characters voices and try to get it to mask. you know, like when I was learning English in the second grade, I had a very heavy accent and I was just like, I want to sound like my peers who are not necessarily first generation or Mexican. Uh, so I think like we get so used to masking, to adapting, to being a chameleon in our environment and journalism further entrenched that in me. And I'm trying to unlearn a little bit, to unmask, to be like, okay, it's safe for me to come out. And people want to see that. Mm-hmm. And I'm still getting comfortable with it. It's not, uh, it's not very comfortable because I'm just like, who am I to share that with people? And, and like, who do I think I am? But when people, you, you get that positive feedback, you're like, oh, maybe there's actually value to this too. Yes. You know, coming from a communication background, it's so hard to unmask yourself when you're creating a platform and it's not this, the name or the, that's, you know, you're hiding behind. It's now you, you are the face, right? And yeah, people want to know more about you. So it, it is hard when you have to reconcile that mask that you've been placed through your career and, but wanting to connect with your audience. And it is, a, it is a journey within this. And I think in media too, because you're yeah. working in media as am I. So you're just like, you want to provide the platform to the people. You're just like, this isn't about me. This is to the people. Yeah. But the thing is because of who we are and because of, of our trajectories and where we are today, I think it's only natural that people are like, well, who are you? Like, like, I like your work, but like, who are you? And that's a very natural question, but I agree. It's, it's scary. It's scary. And I think the whole like masking thing, I've had a, a conversations with people about it. And I, I'm always surprised by how, even though we may be completely different, how people can relate to that so often. If you didn't grow up in an area that like encouraged you to like, to bring your full self to the table, mm-hmm. it becomes like, it's not even like, oh, I'm taking my mask and I'm putting it on, <laughs> you know, like. And walking outside, it's more just like, it's, it's your MO. Mm-hmm. And it has been my MO. 
Yeah. And, and I feel like part of it is me now and, and also, but about also, it's just like, there is more that you can bring of yourself to the table. Exactly. And, you know, you've mentioned, you know, the TikTok is a way for you to take that mask off a bit. And how has that response been through TikTok of unmasking, sharing your stories, you yeah. know, sharing your background and growing up in Chicago and, you know, I, I've been on lives with TikToks and just seeing the response that you have, it's just beautiful. But how, how, how do you receive it in a way that encouraged you to unmask yourself in more ways? It was overwhelming. I'm currently on a TikTok break <laughs> because TikTok moves very fast. And mm-hmm. I would say that, you know, none of it, none of, I, I, didn't, I didn't ever feel offended by, by the way people responded, but the response isn't always positive necessarily. It's yeah. like the internet, it's the wild west, it's a new platform. This is my area of expertise. I do social, I've done social media. Like I know people can be very, not mince their words. <laughs> they can be very forward. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just like, everyone's coming from a place, but that necessarily doesn't say something about me. Mm-hmm. Um, unless, you know, like if I ever did make a mistake, like I would absolutely, you know, like take stock of that and apologize and, and do everything. But, but some people did not react or did not resonate with some of the things I said. By and large, though, it was a very positive response. I talked about growing up in Chicago and how it was like tough um, at times. I talked about journalism and pitching stories about people of color. I, I, a lot of things that I usually wouldn't bring to the table, but the fact that people responded by and large so positively, there was also like some, some dings here and there. I think at anything you do on TikTok, it's, it's bound to get it. Like, Cause they're, they're just so blunt. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get all these people that connected was just, it was scary. I've never had that kind of, most of the positive reinforcement that I've ever gotten has been over the work that has nothing to do with me. So mm-hmm. to see, uh, to see that mirror of myself and people responding to, to me, like not my story, not my ability to tell us like, well, my story, but not my ability to tell a story about someone else. But to me, I was like, huh, maybe there's something here. <laughs> and how do you take talking about breaks? Because I recently took a break because my, you know, listeners listening or watching this may not know, but like, they're like, oh, did you take a break? But I did take a break from interviewing, from everything. And I wanted because my body and my mental health were begging me to do it. How did you take that break from TikTok and allowing yourself? Because I think right now, social media has us, especially us, you know, you're creating this platform, you're creating, a, you know, producing this podcast, this newsletter, you're, and you're working in media. You're, so you're constantly on. How do you just take a step back? It's tricky. I don't think I have a good answer to that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's work-life integration. I don't think it's work-life mm-hmm. balance. I cannot imagine. This is why it kind of like, this is why I feel like it, it just like, I, I feel like a, a soreness in my heart for mothers and caretakers right now, mm-hmm. especially in our Latina and, and Black communities. And I saw just a few weeks ago, one of my favorite journalists, and I won't say her name because I mean, if she tweeted it, but she should be the person to share it. If she does like tweet about how exhausting it's been to be a new mother and host of a national uh, radio show at the same time and how she's hitting a wall. And I'm just like, this is my, this is one of the people I most admire, like point blank. And she's having a hard time. So I, in so many ways, I feel like I find it hard to like complain about the situation Mm -hmm. that I'm in. But at the same time, I've realized in the last year more than ever that I can't pour out of an empty cup. Mm-hmm. And so if I see my cup diminishing, like the liquid is like mm-hmm. pouring out <laughs> or evaporating, 
I need to, I need to put a break on it. I think scheduling for breaks, you know, in, in, in a perfect world would be, would be better. I think that that's what I'm working towards, but honestly, I've started to think more about, I started to think more about health. Like I, I think like, and I'm just being like vulnerable here. Like, I just think that I'm starting to think about like, okay, like who, who can I, um, how can I get some help in amplifying things? How can I make my word go further. And I think that's part of the partnerships too. It's just like, how can we help each other? How can I help you? I know you're burnt out like to other like people that are doing media right now. And how can we help each other here? Because it is, it is rough. And I don't think I have a good solution to that. Like at my full-time job work has increased, increasing dramatically. And, uh, and it's been a balance. Like I love what I do, but it's just a tricky balance and it's not always balanced, I would say, but I think I'm more cognizant. I listen to my gut more often and I pay attention to like my intuitions and when my, when my, I feel like my cup is less than half full. Yeah. So I think you have to listen to your intuition and to your body, right? One is asking you to take a break because you can schedule for breaks, but maybe your body was like asking it for like two days before. right? And I've had that. I've had that, like it hits a wall and you're like, oh, well, I want to schedule for that break. And you're like, but I can't because I've just hit an absolute wall. And, you know, I think joining communities also helps where like you can talk to other people about it. Like right now I'm in an accelerator where I've been able to talk to some other folks that are building things and they talk about the struggles and it's not linear. You're going to have to stop. Um, And I think until you figure out your systems and the full infrastructure to like help you, by and large, if you're building something on your own, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough go. Uh, You have to like be able to like put in that work and also like get the help, get the help at some point nobody does anything completely alone. And so I think just paying attention to your body, letting go of the pride a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, like sometimes it's just like, I can do it. I am like unstoppable. I know I'm like a, I I definitely am fueled more by like adrenaline and like fast moving things. And I'm like, get excited, but I'm just like, you, especially as you get older, you need to like, (laughs) you need to like watch it. Like also like just sustain, sustain, Mm -hmm. right? Like instead of like a sprint, like endurance. Mm-hmm. So true. Yes. I can really connect with that, you know, just endurance and not accelerate and, you know, burn yourself out. And Leanne, what can you share with us, you know, advice for any listener who wants to break into journalism and, you know, doesn't have those connections, don't have someone pushing their resume at the top. What can you say to them to just help them continue on in this? Yeah, path? I would say it's such an exciting time right now to be in media because you're having all of these new digital emerging outlets and you have for some time, but especially now you have all these emerging media outlets pop up. So I wouldn't ignore that. I would take a look around at what it is you want to focus on, figure out the players and reach out to them, start building relationships with them, not just national level, but also like people who are building because these are the people who like, especially as a young journalist in five years may completely blow up. I met Julio Ricardo Varela like in 2011, that's 10 years now. He's founder of Latino Rebels and part of the Futuro Media Group with Marina Hosa. I met him 10 years ago at a Chicago conference and decided, let's keep in touch. Like, I, you know, like these relationships that you establish with people and it shouldn't be like a, like a transactional situation. Mm-hmm. It's just like align people who think like you. Align with people with the builders. No, don't align only with institutional, like big places. Reach out to them, cold email them, but align with people more than companies. Mm-hmm. Seek out the people that are doing what you think is cool. 
instead of company. And I think for me personally, especially if you're value driven, that carries so much more weight when you follow people. And when you look at the way that like people's career trajectories, like they often, some people, some, I will say a lot of journalists have very lonely paths to the top. I will say that too. Journalism is tough to be in, but if you follow a community of people, it's easier. It's easier because you have people you can talk to along the way. You have sponsors, you have mentors. So I think following people is, is really important. Cool. And Leanne, you know, this wonderful conversation, I, I loved it. You know, I connected with it, it resonated and I learned a lot and I love, you know, ending every conversation with the same question, you know, knowing what you know now, living what you lived through, achieved, learned, what would you tell younger Leanne at any age? knowing what you know now? There's a lot that you don't know. (laughs) There's a lot that you don't know. But when the going gets rough, trust in your your superpowers that you haven't discovered yet. Trust in the, the power that exists within you, in the potential, and aim high. Because if you aim high and fall below that, you're still gonna be much further ahead than if you hadn't tried. If you can be. Be a little bit delusional (laughs) in your ambitions. Be a little bit crazy. No successful, anyone really, successful scientist, successful entrepreneur got to places without being a little bit crazy. Expect doubt. Expect ambivalence. Expect people saying no, because that's okay. They're not your people or they're not your people right now. And also know if you get a rejection, it doesn't mean no period. It means no, not right now. And if you still feel like you guys align, keep in touch with them. That's what I would say. (laughs) Perfect. I think any, you know, younger listener, anyone who's listening or watching can even take that and with them and grow during this journey. I can take this and, you know, know, have a much more clear way of like this next stuff that I'm going into. And Leanne, for anyone who is interested in following you, maybe have more questions in terms of how to break in, into the industry of journalism. Maybe they want to learn more about when it moves, where they can read the newsletter, listen to the podcast, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find Moneda Moves at Moneda Moves on Instagram, Leanne Money on TikTok, and definitely the newsletter by the same name on Substack. So please come share any questions, concerns. My DMs are always open and I love hearing from listeners. Awesome. So you heard it there. And if you have any questions, want to reach out to Nian, the invitation is there. All the links will be provided on the show notes. And if you're watching this on the video, so you can continue this conversation by following us at instagram at as the podcast you can follow me at brent underscore hi that's b-r-e-n underscore j-a-i or on tiktok at as as the podcast and on linkedin as as podcast leanne thank you so much i really love this conversation and just knowing more about you and how you you know were able to break into journalism i, I you know discovering moneda moves I was inspired and I'm always informed. That's something that, you know, once a new episode is out, I listen to it while I'm walking at the park. So having you here, thank you. It's it's such an honor and I am excited to see you grow, to continue watching how you inform us and educate us and really shed light on the power that we have as a community in terms of finance and business. So thank you so much. Thanks so much, Brenda. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I'll see you in two weeks. Adios. Hola ellas. 
Have you heard the news? We just launched our website. If you've been inspired by our conversations, then you'll want to visit our site. Head over to as-media.com for more inspiring content. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, so you'll always be alerted when we publish empowering tips for you to continue paving your path in your business, project, career, and life. If you've been listening to AS for a while, you know that I'm a big supporter of providing a platform for Latinas to share their stories and inspire current and future generations of women. With that said, I'm looking to get this podcast into the lives of more amazing Latinas just like you. You can help by going to Apple Podcasts and write a review. Tell me what you think and leave any number of stars. It would mean the world to me. Thank you in advance. AS is produced hosted and audio edited by me, Brenda Hernandez Jaimes. Our video conversations are edited by Javier Ortiz Ruiz. Our logo and podcast cover art was designed by Jennifer Cepeda. And thank you to Shiro, who created the podcast theme song, Sunken Streets. You can download this track on freemusicarchive.org or listen to him on Spotify, YouTube, and follow him on Instagram. This is Say Yes.